And that is, I'd say the one thing with the striving is don't make it a job to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. This is common with strivers, is they then strive to get rid of the striving, <laughs> right? So, a, a, a for I could see myself, you know, right. potentially as one of those doctors or CEOs. Right. I want to be, you know, put stop signs up of a bunch of them. Right. There. And so part of what yeah. Tina's saying is just by staying with the practice, really having gentleness, but honesty, recognizing I want this, I can feel the striving, and then coming back to the breath. So just letting it be there without... But again, you have to not take it as a job, too. And then yeah. what happens, it does get neutralized, it does get relaxed, because you start having a wholesome contact with the practice. So, and then, go ahead, mm-hmm. you were saying, we were Yeah, asked. so there's, I mean, it really, uh, there's a way where I love that this practice does kind of push on this edge, because it really, and it's the same is really true of any practice, including Vipassana, that we have to really show up wholeheartedly and yet we have to be completely surrendered. You know, so it's kind of that, like in your physical posture, you want to be really alert and relaxed. And so there's a way where we're um, developing within our own practice. This is one of the things we talk about a lot when we do retreats, is people really get good at learning how to have that balance of really showing up and also knowing that the me isn't in charge. And that's really that surrender. Ultimately, we could say that a huge part of our spiritual practice is surrender. But then that becomes a doing. So at some point... It's a natural surrender. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, this is an edge that gets worked, but bringing consciousness to it is, and like Stephen said, not, not making that another project. Okay, go ahead. So um, I'm getting a little bit confused today because I know it's about a um, concentration practice. So I'm, I've been really trying to keep my attention on my, you know, right here, as you guys were, were saying, but, but like something that really attracts me to all these practices in Buddhism is to be doing single tasking, not multitasking, like with which is part of the, the ugliness of this technology invasion of our our culture. So, like, are you guys really staying in touch with your nose as you talk and as we meditate and as you walk and as you eat? Like, how I'm I've been trying to do that, but I'm getting I've, I've feel like it's creating more multitasking. Can you guys clarify this? This um. <laughs> Is it first, is it possible? <laughs> yes. The being with the breath is first. Everything else is second. <laughs> well, and what, what I would say is that, you know, we started out saying that this is not the only practice. So, you know, depending, we really, when we talk about our suggestions for daily practice, one of the things we really recommend is to take to undertake a practice for a block of time. So not like one day I'm doing concentration, the next I'm doing Brahma Viharas, and then I'm doing Vipassana. You know, nothing gets to deepen if we're jumping all over. This is our opinion. So if you're undertaking a period of doing the Anapanasati in a concentration, you know, way, then you might, you know, we, we talk about having like 10% of your awareness on the breath 
and 90% on the rest of what you're doing. And you won't be able to do it. You'll, you'll completely lose it at different times. But if you were going to take that up for a month and just do the best you can, that's a lot more than what, you, what most people have without trying. And if you're undertaking Vipassana for a month, then you'd be really in touch with whatever is in your awareness. So that's a different practice. Or maybe you would just sense your body a lot more. So you're not going to have 100% of your awareness there, but could you have 10%? Could you even have 5%? That's it. That starts getting I thought possible. we didn't want our attention to be divided in percentages. I, th I thought we, the whole point of mindfulness is to be, to be only with one by single tasking. So now I'm getting a little bit confused. But When, when you're meditating, but, that's possible. Yeah. When you're walking, that's not possible because you've got to see where you're walking. You've got to make judgments. Exactly. Right. right. So one way to think about this, and this is good you bring this up, is often people think about this like a light switch. Either it's on or it's off. You're either with it or you're mm -hmm. not with it. And we introduced that, no, it's more like a dimmer switch, as Tina mm -hmm. said. Can you get 5%, 10%? Well, yeah, sometimes up to 100, sometimes down to 5 or, or even 0. But it gives more of a range for can you be with, with the breath some. And that makes it easier because also that means you're succeeding if you're on it some. It's not just a failure. If not 100%, you know, forget it. Yeah, so there, I mean, you're, you're pointing to on-the-cushion practice and off-the-cushion practice. On-the-cushion practice, you, you, you don't have to do anything else except not fall over, really. So, well, even then, probably. Yeah, you could fall over yeah. if you want, you know. Yeah. Um, but there isn't a whole lot you have to do. But when you're in the world living a normal life, especially as a householder, but even as a monastic, you've got to have your attention for other things. Yeah, okay. So to end this question, so I'm not taking up too much time. So like, isn't, isn't your attention then kind of divided the same way that it would be when you're on your cell phone or on your iPad? That aren't we trying to avoid that mental fragmentation? So that's why I don't understand the point of practicing concentration out of off the cushion. Mm -hmm. Because the whole point of this is to be fully with with your present moment. Well, that's Vipassana, but I'm still, I'm still <laughs> getting confused of, of why practice You just answered your own question. Do you, do you practice Vipassana off the cushion? Um, yeah, I do. How? When I'm driving. You when can't. I'm, well, right? what are you doing when you you're driving? You must be 100% on or you're not doing it. Well, that, that is it. That's, right. the, that's the practice of Vipassana. All my attention, not, not on my phone, not on my nose, below my nose, but on, on the road and, and as I'm driving. So how do we practice concentration off the cushion? It's the same way. When you're driving, you're driving, you're concentrated, then you notice the lights or you hear a horn or you have to blow your nose, you've got to check your speedometer. So we're all the time, we're tracking. What we're saying is we're keeping this as a base. Right? Yeah, the difference, the difference right. is that you have a continuity. So the two practices, as we've been saying, they're, they're different. You're not cultivating the same thing. What, what you're doing in Vipassana, where you're really being present for whatever's happening, and that's changing all the time, this is momentary concentration. When you're having 5% of your awareness with the breath, you're having continuity through the whole day of one thing, even in the midst of all these other things that you have to do off the cushion. But, I mean, we're offering this, and if that doesn't work for you, if it feels like it's too split, then then don't do it. I mean, really do what feels right and most congruent for you. That's really, you know, follow your own heart in your practice. And, and it's also a matter of just trying. 
staying with it and seeing what happens, being curious. And you'll see what happens for you. And Sina said, you know, this is a practice that calls people. And some people are called and some people are not. And that's just the reality of the practice. So that's, part, that's why we introduced this. You get it, a taste of it and you can decide, is this something that sounds intriguing to you or something that's interesting but not? Yes, hi, I'm Barbara. Um, you know, I feel like you've opened, opened my mind more. Um, um, and I c could see where it's difficult to be approaching um, my deep nature from, in different ways. Um, so my question is, is it really my deep, it's not striving, it's my deep nature, the seeking to be more fully who I am in this larger whatever. Um, and so that's one piece. The second piece is actually I need a more concrete definition of what jhana is. Um, and it's, I can see it's you know pretty basic, but I can't get it cognitively. So the first question, what you're describing, I would say, is wholesome desire. Oh. Yeah, so this okay. is the wholesome desire that brings all of us to practice instead of to not practice. Okay. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes it gets a little gray where the wholesome turns into the unwholesome and so on, but that is the wholesome desire that really brings all of us to uh -huh. practice. And so to really be in touch with that is, is important. Mm -hmm. And then for the definition of jhana, so a jhana is a full, basically one way of looking at it is that our, our awareness becomes absorbed into a non-dual state. Mm -hmm. And so the only things that one is aware of, I mean, we don't say everything about it because that way when people come into interview, we can see whether it's jhana or not. But mm -hmm. one is aware of the object of meditation, in this case it's the breath, mm -hmm. and the jhana factors. And mm -hmm. it's not like you're sitting there in your mind saying mm -hmm. what they are, but there's a sense of focus mm -hmm. and sense of joy, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And, and full awareness. So it's not an unconscious state. It's not a state where your, your awareness is fully present mm -hmm. in a mm -hmm. very particular way. Mm -hmm. But and as we mentioned, it's a, in our tradition, it's it's, it's without thinking, so mm -hmm. there's no thinking. Mm -hmm. There's full contact, full awareness, mm -hmm. and there's way, ways that everyone describes it the same. Yeah. So there is a uniformity of experience in that regard. And I, there's also we didn't get into this because it's a day long, but on retreats we teach. There's a whole progression that mm -hmm. we call first sister, first jhana, and it is in our book. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole set of stages that if those things have happened, mm -hmm. then one can see that there was a progression. If they haven't happened, then mm -hmm. that would not be considered jhana. And part of our function as teachers on retreat is we, we really will validate people when they, when they touch each of these landmarks. So they know mm -hmm. this is where you are, you're experiencing it, this is something now that's within your understanding. Mm -hmm. And that way people begin to recognize and they'll come in saying, oh, I had this jhana factor came up and this is what it was like, what was happening. Mm -hmm. So we start getting a common language 
but it's one where we, we really want them to be empowered in their own practice too. Mm-hmm. And then the people who do where jhana does arise enough, they'll learn to experience it, they'll recognize qualities about it, and there gets to be greater sophistication in speaking about it with us. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very much um, a learned experience, but also based on full contact or full awareness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I could keep the conversation going, but I will stop. Okay. okay. Thank you. There's always more. There's always more, yeah. We'll take maybe a couple more and then yeah, we'll have a break. Yeah, we need a break. Thank you for being here. Um, you talked about uh, bright light that can be experienced. Um, I access it pretty easy, but I access too a pitch darkness or a grayness. And I don't really know what it is. Can you speak to it? So your question is that you experience the light sometimes, and you're saying you also experience blackness or grayness sometimes. Are, are they? Do they appear together? No, either or. Either or. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the, the lights can mean that sign of concentration, as we mentioned, and the blackness is not a, not an uncommon experience as people are concentrating. That's kind of the territory. Is that there's a blackness and a depth and uh, qualities there, stillness, silence, that kind of thing that goes with that. Mm. Are there Comments? certain times when one or the other arises? No, I'm in a still place and it's either black or bright and I don't make an issue out of it. It's kind of, oh, now it's black or oh, now it's bright. So, mm-hmm. But I always mm. wonder, is there something to it? Yeah, well, this even this is really our instruction, even if it is the nimitta arising, which tends to be the, the bright, it doesn't really matter. You're still so, staying here. Yeah, you're still just staying with, in this case, the breath, stay with your meditative object, and whatever's going to unfold will happen on its own. It was a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. And, and you would see on retreat, with some sustained practice day after day, you would see what these are more clearly. Mm-hmm. Because they they'd either develop more or they de- or they would develop less. They would, you know, present less. So you mm-hmm. learn more. Yeah. So let's maybe we'll go ahead and have a break okay. now. We'll, yeah. We will have more time for questions. Yeah,